welcome into this Five Clubs conversation. I'm Gary Williams. This week, it's not going to be about golf. And one of the great things about kind of having your own platform, uh, as my partners are cringing on, really, it's yours. No, it isn't. But I do have the discretion and the autonomy to have conversations that may be a little bit different. And that's what today is going to be about, because I've not talked a great deal about this, did to some degree with Willie Wilcox, to a lesser degree when Billy Horschel was on because his wife uh, is on a journey of, of sobriety with her own alcoholism. I'm an alcoholic, and, and there are people that have a public forum that have made the choice, and it's, it's everybody's choice uh, to talk about their own journey, whatever that journey might be. Well, the gentleman who's going to be joining me is somebody who was a sensational college athlete and was somebody projected to be a sensational professional athlete, and it didn't happen to the degree that he is widely regarded as, as somebody who is one of the biggest busts in professional sports histories, and he owns it. That person is Ryan Leaf, and Ryan is somebody who, after his professional career ended in the National Football League, struggled, struggled for years, and then found himself in the throes of a drug addiction that found him in jail for more than one year. And since then, he's found his footing, and he's found sobriety, and he's got a job, and that job includes talking about the sport that made him famous and then infamous, and that is through points bet. He's talking about lines, and he's talking about college football and the NFL. Today is not going to be about that. Today is going to be about trying to be where your feet are and living a life that includes accountability and acceptance and surrender and all the things that are associated with people who have addiction like I do and like he does. So I hope you're interested in this because there may be somebody in your life directly. Who knows? I hope it's not you. But if it is, I hope you listen closely because for years I didn't listen. I didn't listen to myself and I didn't listen to other people who told me that I had a problem. And I've addressed that problem, but you know what? I've got to address it every single day. He's been doing it, and he's provided me with some inspiration. So Ryan Leaf, joining us on this Five Clubs conversation. that we welcome in the aforementioned ryan leaf ryan how you feeling i'm doing real well good to talk to you gary uh thank you for taking the time i really appreciate it you know uh as somebody who who spends his life you know knee deep in in golf like you do spending your life knee deep uh primarily the nfl college football and it's great to see your new set your new studio very happy for you when did you got by the way when did you launch the the to have that studio presentation how new is that Yesterday, we launched from this studio. We've, wow. been filming out, we've been filming out of the Good Morning Football studio yep. for the first month of the show, and this opened yesterday. And this couch is unbelievably <laughs> comfortable. It makes it for a very relaxed atmosphere to do uh, my show from. And, yeah, I'm really blessed. Uh, the, the Leaf family is incredibly grateful for, for where we are. I mean, just – just 10 years ago, I was sitting in a prison cell. You would have never told me like that anything like this was possible uh, at all. I, I had I had no no. I would have told you you were insane if you said that was the case. Yeah, it's it's again. I I mentioned in the open, 
you know, about how this was going to be a departure. And, and I've talked modestly uh, about my own, my own struggles with alcohol. Uh, it cost me a job that was a dream job a couple of years ago. And, and trying to, you know, be where my feet are and, and live a life of sobriety. Um, and it's a great feeling to wake up feeling that. But the scary thing is, is that, you know what? I know that my mind can drift and that I can't believe everything that I think. Like, I'm fine and I'm good and I got this. I never have it. It's, it's today. And I got to think about tomorrow. I, I want to go back because you mentioned the, the Lee family is blessed in reading some things. And I followed your career going obviously all the way back to Washington State. You said, look, this is not a byproduct of not having a great upbringing. The things that, you know, you got yourself into, uh, you had great parents, you know, great siblings, grandparents. Um, is that something that you have incredible gratitude for now more than you've ever felt in your life, the family that you're a product of? Yeah. And especially since I have a family of my own now yep. too. Right. Um, I think that's because, you know, people disappeared when my life got complicated, right. When I started making, but the ones that didn't are the ones that I truly know unconditionally love me. They love me when I was a star football player. They love me when I was a junkie felon in a, in a jail cell. Right. So those are the people that I'm rolling with. They're, they're who I'm riding with. And uh, luckily for me, I found one in a partner uh, and, and, uh, and the mother of my child who has been, you know, ride or die for me on that end of things too. And then, you know, my little man, he's just, you know, he's just along for the ride. He doesn't ever have to see that version that I think a lot of other people had to see, um, you know, years ago. And that's, that's maybe one of the coolest things in the world. Yesterday was his fifth birthday and it was so fun to celebrate with that guy. And, and see how much he's grown in just the five years he's been around. Ryan, how often do you do you pause and think? I, I, never in my life did I think at, at the the age that you are that you'd be living in in you know in suburban Connecticut, working in Midtown Manhattan as a gas bag. And I say that affectionately because that's what I am talking yeah. about something obviously that you love. How often do you pause and think about that? Every night. When I lay my head down, I, I have, I put together a gratitude list. Uh, and, and so every night is when I pause and I think about it. I mean, some things are different. Like, you know, I, I'm, I'm really grateful for my bed. I think, you know, the mattress that I have is incredibly comfortable. And I think a lot of people, you know, don't quite understand that. But when you, when you slept on a, you know, a cement slab for three years, almost like the comfort of your bed is something you really you don't take for granted anymore. And I think the perspective that I've gained has allowed me every night to be able to have that gratitude list because I understand the little things that, that I think a lot of other people take for granted because of what I have gone through. And it's, it's a blessing. It really is. You know, I never thought I'd be able to look at anybody or tell anybody that I was grateful for having spent 32 months in prison. I mean, I don't recommend it at all, but I, I'm really grateful for it. You know, um, the, the thing that you just mentioned, it's interesting. All the people in my life who know me best, who, who love me the most, can't understand the way that my mind operates as somebody who is, you know, in addiction and will never get past that. Um, and I will always, you know, some people can say, well, I'm recovered. It's semantics to me, recovered, recovering. And yet when I hear things and read things that you've said and the words that you just spoke, it's like, I get him. 
And, and never in my life did I think that I would, I would walk into rooms or listen to other people that I have nothing in common with, but the greatest commonality is the thing that keeps me right every day. Um, when was the first time you heard somebody that you looked at and you went, you know, this person, there's no way we will have anything in common. And then they said something, you went, oh my God, I think that way, yeah. I feel that way. First time I stepped into treatment, uh, sat across from, from a young man who had grown up, you know, most of his life homeless on the streets, uh, was an incredibly talented artist, had like a, you know, a, a, a memory that he could memorize, he could memorize anything. And, uh, and, and he'd spent time in prison and I hadn't at that point. I needed, needed a few more years before I got to that. But, uh, I looked across and I'm like, that's my story. I mean, what he, what he's saying is, is my story. It's just, it, it just looks a little different. It's, it's shaped a little different and that's it. You know, I am, uh, as far as I wanted to make my story more, uh, you know, more flashy or something like that. I was still the same guy. I was this junkie who would do anything to, you know, curb his addiction just like he would and feed it. And so, yeah, I, I get your point. Like when I walk in those rooms and I sit in those rooms, I hear my story being told over and over and over again. You know, one of the things about your upbringing that, that you, you've pointed out repeatedly is that you know, you, you looked at people who were, were drug users and, and maybe drank to excess with alcohol as that there was some amorality uh, to yeah. their conduct. You were the guy who showed up with a six pack of, of seven up, which is a great brand to use because it's very nostalgic. You can't even find it if you want to anymore. Um, but you said something. I'm like, God, that, that's it. You're like, I, I was a drug addict before I even used a drug. Explain that if you would, because some people are going, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, so competition was my first drug of choice. I had to compete at everything. Like that's what fueled me. Uh, and I wanted to beat your tail, uh, inside and out. And if I didn't, if I were to happen to lose, I wanted to run it back immediately, whether we were on the football field, the baseball diamond or the basketball court, golf, ping pong, didn't matter. Right. I was going to compete. And so, um, and, and, and it didn't, and I behaved as such, right. I, now that I know how an addict behaves and how I behaved, that's how I behaved as an athlete. And, I'm not saying it was the wrong thing because it got me to where I needed to get. There's a fine line, right, that that you just kind of sway back and forth on. Um, but that was my drug of choice, and I fed it constantly until it no longer existed. And then I didn't have that to feed it anymore, and I found another way to medicate it, uh, and that was the form of uh, an opiate painkiller. Pain you know, the, the story of you being incarcerated and somebody, you know, begrudgingly having you go down and help, other inmates learn how to read and you were you were you were like God, really I'm this is where I am and this is what I'm going to do but there was something that 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 touched you like never in my life have I served somebody else have I have I been selfless in terms of not going like what am I getting out of it like what I'm I'm giving something I got to get something here but you knew in that particular like really spartan moment like, I got to do this again. And when, I, when this is over, when I leave here, that has to be a part of my foundation. I, explain why that impacted you in that way. Well, you know, I don't think at the time that uh, I, I didn't understand it then. I just, you know, for whatever reason, I had, I've had many of those moments, those kind of come to Jesus moments where people were trying to help me, mentors, family, coaches, 
And I, I can't tell you why I, I, I acquiesced and, and I went down to the prison library and helped those prisoners who didn't know how to read, learn how to read. I think it was in part the guy who was asking me, he was a, you know, two term, you know, two tour Vietnam or not mm. Vietnam, but uh, Afghanistan and an Iraq war veteran. And he had tried to better himself every single day he was in there. But I still, I remember walking down the hallway thinking, this is silly, this is stupid, uh, this isn't going to help me, and, and, you know, doesn't he know how important I am? <laughs> the irony in that, that the guy in a red jumpsuit walking down a prison hallway still thinks he's important, I think, is the entire problem. So um, I didn't know it uh, immediately, uh, not that first day. I didn't know it a week later. I didn't know it a month later. But after a few few months of showing up, I found that I was sleeping better. I was more personable. I was talking to my family. And that's when I came to the realization that I was being of service to another human being for the first time in my life. I used to think what I did on, on Saturdays and Sundays was me being of service. And it's, of course, that's, that's uh, uh, asinine. And so I knew that was going to have to be at the foundation of who I was when I got out or like nothing would change. It no longer could be about me. It had to be about somebody else. And what's crazy about that, Gary, is that when you make it about somebody else, like your life gets better. And and I just assumed that to make your life better, you had to be all all encompassing and totally consumed with yourself mm. and how that would work. So yeah, that that changed perspective greatly. And I still, you know, I still struggle with that. I I still think I have plenty of narcissistic personality disorders that 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 exist when I think it has to be about me. But luckily I have people around me who hold me accountable and and I understand it. I'm, I'm, I'm more self-aware for sure. You know, I was, I was having a conversation this morning with some people um, who, who obviously know me well, and I'm talking about who, who were also in addiction. And they were like, and I was, I was sharing that I was going to talk to you this afternoon. And like, why are you going to do that? And I said, because I want to, because he's an inspiration. He is. Why, why would, why would, why, why was, what, what did you say to him when they said, why would you talk to him? Not, not you specifically, just, just that the conversation was about anonymity. The conversation was about how, how, how sacred and private, you know, everybody's journey is. And I said, well, look, I, I have to protect your anonymity. It's my, it's my, it's my decision to, to be transparent to whatever degree that I want to be. And it was, it was, it was not a contentious conversation, but it was like, what, what, and it gets back to what, what you were just talking about. Like, I need to make sure that I do things that I'm not trying to serve myself. Because right. I, I believe me, it, it, they, people can look at me and go, how could you have a big ego? Look, I do. I do. And, and the, the alcohol wasn't the problem. I'm the problem. The yep. problem is, is managing you know, the things that I want for myself and how, you know, there's a great book by a, an author named Ryan Holiday called Ego is the Enemy. Oh, yeah. Read it. Yeah, I'm sure, you, I'm sure you have. And that is, you know, that that's it's like, what is in it for me? And that stuff gets in my way all the time. Yeah, the, the you know, I've had some people uh, in in my fellowship, you know, talk to me about that, too. And I'm like, you know, this has nothing to do with any of you, right? This has everything to do with, with me and for the individual that still struggles. My story is very public. Like I can't, I can't run and hide from that. No like question. everybody know, everybody knows it. So I also wanted to, to, to be able to use my story as a way for me to be accountable for my actions. I think for the longest time, and I know for a fact that I was never accountable to anybody or anything, 
And I think people wanted that. They wanted some accountability on my part because regardless of what happened anywhere at any time, what was my part in it? And um, and I, I think that's important piece, especially if you're going to talk about your recovery. You have to be transparent. You have to be vulnerable. And you have to be able to be accountable for everything that you've done. I, I couldn't agree more. You know, one of the things that and, and I, I'm, I'm curious with you because our addictions, and again, I've got an addictive personality. It was, it was alcohol with you as opioids. You know, I, I, I spent years trying to make myself believe that I could stop on my own, that I could, you know, read these books and, and, and it's willpower. And, and you can, you know, you can do this. When you put your mind to other things, you've been able to do it. One of the things that, that you know, took years for me was to surrender to the fact that I, I, I just, this, this drug owns me. I can't, yeah. in order to win, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta concede, like you, you own me, but you're not gonna kill me. Well, I, 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 I wasn't the, I, I wanted it to kill me. Um, so that's where you and I differed on yeah. that, that end of things. I, I, I was begging for death at the end there. Uh, luckily for me, uh, the sheriff's department showed up and saved my life. Right? Yeah. I needed, I needed to be intervened with. I couldn't do it on my own. And even then, like it, it took, it took a, forever for me about 26 of the 32 months while I was inside uh, to finally, finally find that acceptance and that surrender you're talking about. You know, it's just I was, I needed to be humbled in a way that that others, that others simply didn't, didn't have to be. And. That's just, that was my journey. That's the way it had to go for me. And it was embarrassing. It was humiliating. Uh, and it was, uh, you know, incredibly difficult for my family. Uh, so I have a lot of amends to make up for, for all the damage that I've done. And in a lot of situations, probably never be able to, to make enough amends for some. As do I, for sure. And it's, it's you know, you used a word that, you know, I have here on this, this little sheet. Uh, and it's not questions, it's just words. Um, and acceptance is is one of those words um, and accepting, you know, the damage that I've done and and accepting the responsibility that comes with every day doing the things I like. One of the one of the biggest challenges, Ryan, that, that I have had and I'm, I'm curious for you with with a family that's been as supportive of, as yours have been. And I'm sure their patience has been tested, was tested at times and their trust and their belief is this idea that I, I get to certain places in my sobriety where I'm like, why, why are they not feeling as good as I am? Like, like why, why don't, why don't, why aren't they looking at me? Like I want them to look at me. And again, it gets partially back to ego. And I've got to accept the fact that everybody's recovery because I did, I, I gave my family PTSD. There's no question in my mind that the damage I did uh, is something that will take years for them uh, to, to get over. And like you said, they may never do it. Um, has that been challenging for you? And has it been challenging for you to think, God, I'm moving along here. Why is everybody else moving at a slower pace? At first it was, uh, at first. And then I I've come to accept and understand that some people in my life experienced the absolute worst possible version of me for such a long period of time. Mm. It may never, you know, course correct. It just, it may never happen. And I have to have acceptance around that and, and understand that it may not be something that, that will ever change. And so, um, 
I have to accept that. Uh, I have to understand that what other people ultimately think about me is none of my business anymore, right? I, I do my part. Uh, I control what I can control. And that's a, a daily thing, you know, especially when you do a public thing like you and I do, right? Yeah. We're, we're constantly criticized. Uh, your past is always thrown in your face. Uh, and so I have to be, you know, because because I'll get a thousand compliments of, of where I'm at and where I'm going, but there'll be one negative one. And that's the one I'll stew on, right? No I mean, it's, just, it's, it's human nature. And I have to be better at, uh, at understanding that and just, you know, discarding resentments that exist. How about how about judgment? Because, you know, you're in a position now and, and even if you're just trying to be as clinical in your analysis as you want to be, people go, God, look at you. Like, look at you being critical of, of this guy or that guy. Forget whether it's the anonymous saying that. How about the way you're trying to manage that in terms of the, the intellectual part of, of being in the job that you're in? It's, a, it's an inherent responsibility to analyze. But a lot of people look at that. He's judging. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, again, what other, what other people think of me is none of my business. I'm doing a job, right? My job is to analyze what's going on in the football field. Uh, and what I can really bring to the table and make it relatable is my experience, right? When I see something or see something going on that I did either the right way or the wrong way, I can relate to that. And I think that's given me a different perspective, one that's unique. And it's a reason why I have the job that I have now is, is because my perspective is, is a lot different from a lot of the people that have played the game, gone through the things they've gone through and, and the life we've lead, we've, we've led. So I, I, you know, you know, I'm okay with it. I commit. I, 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 I do my job. That's what I'm asked to do. I leave it at the door when I walk home. Uh, I'm not worried about what other people think in terms of uh, why would we listen to Ryan Leaf about this? You know, boy, he sure seems judgmental for somebody who has such a checkered past. And I'm like, the only difference is, like anybody else, I'm a flawed human being trying to be better every single day. I'm just not going to allow my past define me moving forward, right? It's my past. I can't do anything about it. I can try to be better every single day. I don't know what 10 years are going to look like from now. I don't know what tomorrow is going to look like. I assume if I do the same thing I did today and be grateful and meditate and pray and go to meetings and do the things that I need to do, that I'll, that I'll be able to lay my head down tomorrow night in the same fashion. But, you know, I, I don't count my chickens uh, by any means, right? Today is today, and that's all I'm worried about. Yeah, it, you know, you used the, the term talking about not shutting the door on the past. Again, something that I, I've had conversations with people who are invested in me from a, from a loving standpoint. And I had one about two months ago uh, with somebody who has lived a life of sobriety for more than three decades. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm, I struggle at times because I don't want to shut the door in the past nor wish to forget it. He's like, you got to get over that. I'm like, this is the human condition. I can't get over it. It's there. It's there. I'm not saying that I'm wallowing in this on a day to day basis, but I, I want to use it to be constructive. I don't want to forget the, the, you know, the, the judgments that I made, the decisions that I made uh, and the lack of accountability that I that I had in myself. Um, and that, that's something that when I talk to people who are outside the program, they're like, I don't get it. I don't get it. You can't change the past. I'm like, no, exactly. I can't. But I've got to constructively try to learn from it. Um, I appreciate the fact that you, you brought it up because like you, I, all I can do is try to be, try to be as good as I can be right now. And that's yep. something Ryan, that, that for, 
for years, I was so caught up, and again, our, our, everybody's path is different. I was trying to cover up the con from yesterday, figure out how I was going to get through the con today, and feeling so shitty uh, in a combination of being hammered and just morally and emotionally bankrupt that how am I going to even do this tomorrow? But then I'd wake up I, and it would be like, how am I going to cover up yesterday? How do I get through today? And that was exhausting. So um, I, I, I recently tried to help a, a friend of mine um, and I got him into a treatment facility. Um, and I, I was just I was just informed that he got he got kicked out. And so I messaged him and you know, I said, Hey, you know, consequences are a bitch. Um, but you know, you control what you, you can control. And then I got this, this long ass text message of just playing the victim and blaming and taking zero accountability. And I was just like, that, that message is the exact message I would have sent 10 years ago. I mean, exact, it would have been all about everybody else, nothing yes. that I did. And so, um, so I get it. Yeah, I, I, I get it. And it's awesome. It's, it's a good reminder. It's a reminder to see it. It, it, it. it holds a mirror up to you and go, oh, yeah, that was me. You cannot ever think for one moment that this has not anything to do with you anymore, right? It's, it's always got to do with you and how you react and how you deal with it. Like life isn't fair. It's how you deal with it that matters, period. That's the best information that I could give anybody around recovery. When you um, when you got your mind right and you started to feel like you were you were you know finding encouragement in the things that you were you were doing and thinking, um, as far as like sleeping, could, did you not sleep well for years? Well, no, because when you take opioids, you, the sedative aspect of it, they be, it becomes. It but it's becomes not quality a, a, sleep, though. It, it becomes it becomes a, a, a stimulant. I'd be up all night. Oh, right. It, it has a reverse effect. So no, I I had terrible. To, I I sleep, I sleep so well now. <laughs> I am I am out, and uh, you know you cannot. Uh, earth, I mean, I lived in Los Angeles for the last seven years, and we had many earthquakes, and earthquakes wouldn't wake me up unless my wife was like, you know, just like elbowing the hell out of my my side to wake me up and and get us uh, into a safe space. Yeah, I, I sleep really well. <laughs> I sleep like the dead right now. <laughs> the um, you know, one of the things that 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 I'm curious as far as shame, feeling shame, um, and and back to the idea of acceptance. Um, I, the, the greatest thing that ever happened to me was was being an alcoholic, and that sounds just counterintuitive to anything anybody. But the fact is, I can say that, which 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 means that, you know, I have, I've gotten the help that I absolutely needed. And it's, it's allowed me for today uh, to do the right things. And I know you talk about do the next right thing. And all I did was the next wrong thing yeah. habitually. And so having, I, I'm not ashamed. I, I, and that's the thing about being transparent. I was so wrapped up in a, in a, just a cloak of lies that as soon as I was unburdened by, hey, look, I give up. I, I, I am who I am. I, I am an alcoholic. I need help. My wife would be like, Shh, come. like they might hear you. I don't give a shit if they hear me. I can't, I can't live this way anymore. And I'm not ashamed. Did you have, and I, believe me, I had, I had long stretches of feeling a great deal of shame. And I don't now. 
Was that something you had to come through the vortex of? Yeah, well, I, I fully had to understand what shame and guilt was, right? Yeah. You know, shame is, is you believe you're a bad person. Whereas yes. guilt is, is, whereas guilt is you, 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 you understand you did a bad thing. It doesn't, you're not inherently bad. You, you aren't the, uh, you, you did a bad thing. You are not a bad person. And I think for the longest time, I just believed I was a piece of shit because everybody told me I was. And so therefore it must be true. And so that's where the shame came in. So yeah, I, now when I hear that, that type of thing, I'm, I'm not ashamed of my past, um, it's given me the life that I that I have now, and I don't know if I've ever would would have been able to get to that place in my life. I've, I've been super successful, and that ego would have stayed, you know, running rampant like it had since I was a little kid. Um, so I, you know, the humbling that came with it, um, you know, I, I don't recommend it, like I said before, but I'm incredibly grateful for it. I'm not ashamed. In fact, um, the anonymity aspect of things, I am. It, it may be the proudest thing I am of anything of get, is getting sober. And, and I, I want that and I want to wear it as a badge of honor. I don't, I don't care who knows, you know, and I think it, it takes people by surprise a lot of the times sure. in conversations where it, it almost seems like probably oversharing to some, but, you know, in just casual conversation, I'll bring up like, yeah, you know, when I got out of prison and they'll just, there'll be a double take, like, <laughs> don't, what? don't tell, don't let people know you were, you were in prison, first of all. And I'm like, Really? I mean, I, I think it's pretty an interesting story is the way I, I view it now. Like, I mean, everybody's got unique qualifiers in their stories their entire life. Mine, mine certainly has some unique qualifiers that make for an interesting uh, uh, dialogue. That's for sure. No, it's you know, when I was when I was in treatment, there was a, a, a documentary that was shown. And I I found it to be a little bit curious because everyone was trying to get their mind right and they're in there for all various things and, and their lives are upside down. It was, it was a documentary called Anonymous P People and, and it was about kind of the recovery community and how in the early 70s, a lot of people like yourself who have, you know, were, were very, very famous, came forward and said, that I'm not gonna be shamed by this. This is who we are and, and we need help and so do a lot of other people and they're, they're, they feel a stigma that is preventing them from, from getting the help and, and so on and so forth. But I, I, I bring that up because you've made the choice to, to, to speak to a lot of people who need help, people who are in the throes of, of whether it's right out of detox. I mean, you're going back into the belly of the beast on a, on a pretty regular basis, I would assume, to talk to people who, whose lives are, are in total wreckage how constructive is that in those, those experiences for you? Well, it's important. Um, one, as a reminder of what's out there for me, if yeah. I don't continue down this path, I think that's, that's a really important piece in all of this. But also I want to know, I want them to know, like there is a solution. Like, I think they just, they just assume that because I was a famous rich football player back in the day that when I walked out of prison, like everything was laid out for me. I mean, there were, there was nothing there, right? I had no money. Uh, I had no hope. I had no job opportunities. Like, you know, I work for the Disney corporation now in a call games for ESPN. Like Mickey Mouse wasn't waiting there. Like, Hey Ryan, come, come work for me. You know, I mean, it just, it wasn't, there was nothing there. And luckily for me, I had my parents couch um, that I could sleep on. And a lot of Guys that get out of prison, people that get out of prison don't even have that. So I think it's important for them to understand, like, you can have this life. 
Like the promises can come true for you, but you have to be willing to do whatever it takes to stay sober. And so when I talk to a lot of them, I ask them that question. I said, what are you willing to do to stay sober? And before they can even say anything, I said, unless you tell me anything, there really isn't much I can do Correct. for you. You know, so if, if you're not willing to do anything that somebody suggests to do to try to stay sober, then there, I, I don't have any, any answers for you because that's how I got sober. I went to a sponsor who showed me the path. I went to a bunch of different people who had lives that I wanted and I followed their advice verbatim because guess what? My best thinking took me to a prison cell. I do not make the right choices. I need help with that. And I understand that. And that was a very hard thing to say too, because I've been incredibly successful in my life. I can do this on my own. I don't need help from anybody else. No, clearly I need help because my best thinking took me to a prison cell. So that's the way you got to look at it. The, uh, the, you know, the whole thing about, about, you know, what are your priorities and some of the constructive things that I had to learn this because, you know, I've got, I've got friends who I know are, are there. I can see it that they're struggling and, and it's like, you know, people are like, well, you, you know, you're, go you've gone through this, you're going through this, you know, why don't, why don't you help? And I'm like, I'll, I'll do everything I can. But addiction is, is self-diagnosis. You ha if you or I do not accept it first before anybody else, like somebody could scream at me all day long. If I'm not ready to, to put sobriety before everything else in my life, there is nothing else that's going to exist. And Ryan, I, I got to be honest, I, I, I was given like it was like a weekly you know, exercise of one of the most important things in your life. And I would, you know, I'd, I'd be like, oh, put family first. You know, that's that's it's always going to be the right answer. I'd put everything but sobriety. And then, you know, I don't know how many months it was, but it's like you don't get it. None of this other stuff exists unless that is first. And yeah, I'm and, trying. I'm, I'm, I try to help people all the time. And, you know, after I hear a little bit of their story and they're asking for some advice, I say, well, you need to go to treatment. Yeah. And they're just like, no. I can't, I got, I'll lose got my it. family. I'll lose my, my job. And I'm like, you're going to lose those things anyway. It's just, you know, may, it may be the long game. You just, you know, it may take a couple of years for you to lose them, but you're going to lose them regardless. So, uh, you know, I, I, I had to lose everything myself. Uh, I, I didn't listen when people said, Hey, and showed me the mirror, right. To your point, if I would have gotten sober when everybody else in my life wanted me to get sober, it would have been, you know, 15 years ago, it wouldn't have been, you know, the, having to go to jail and experiencing all the humiliation and embarrassment of uh, being dragged across the, the newspapers and in front of the cameras, you know, that you, you don't, you don't get sober on other people's time frame. It, it just doesn't happen that way. Um, I saw yesterday where CC Sabathia posted on his Twitter account, seven years of, of living a sober life. And, and like you, you know, this is, look, he, he, this was this was at the end of the regular season going into the postseason for the Yankees, and uh, and this was before I I was willing to get help, and yeah. and and I'm I'm going seriously, he can't wait until after the postseason, like and I'm a lifelong Yankee fan, and I'm going seriously, this guy's getting paid X, and he can't wait three weeks to give them three starts in the postseason. That's not the way it works. He's not, not waiting for the postseason to be over. He knew he needed help. And seven years later, he's, he's, he's posting that, you know, seven years of sobriety. Yeah. And, I, I, Ryan, I can just think about where my mind was as, as a fan. And I, I listen to all the other fans going, 
How can you do this? You're getting paid X. Yeah, it doesn't have anything to do with no. Money. I mean, you can be the richest person in the world, and if you, if you can't function, right, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You 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 never get to enjoy the spoils of of that. So you got to give him a ton of credit. Uh, you know, he he's a he's a client of of my agents as well, and we had a run in with one another a couple years back, and I think that, you know when people talk about game, recognizing game, it's always around the athletic yes. aspect of things. But when we walked up to each other, like we had never met before, but we had this thing in common that made us like blood brothers. And so, um, yeah, I'm really impressed with, with CC and, and how he's, you know, upfront and honest about everything and, and the way he went about his business. I mean, you know, I think there was a lot of people that helped get him to that place, of course, but for him to make that choice in the most difficult of situations in such a public way, uh, he, he's quite an inspiration to, to me and many others. You know, I can, I can sneak in a little bit of a golf angle here. You were mentioning before we got started uh, that you, golf was a good outlet for you when, when you, you were trying to get your mind right. How? Well, you know, when I spent 32 months in prison, I only went outside twice in those 32 months. So out the outdoors nature was a huge part of my higher power Yeah, because I didn't, I wasn't, you know, I want, I'm not big into a omnipotent being. Uh, I'm more into the group of drunks mentality and nature as a higher power, because there's something so much greater than me out there. And that's, that was something I could rely on. And so being out nature in, uh, you know, in some of the world's best golf courses yeah. in Los Angeles, Riviera, LA country club, you know, lakeside, those places to spend four or five hours fellowshipping with some, some buddies and being in nature uh, and competing at something that I love to do. It was, it was really important to me. And I was, I remember when I went to pay for the, for the membership, it was like, I was living paycheck to paycheck. Like I had to put things on a credit card and, but I knew that was like, when you invest in yourself and yeah. certain things, like the importance of that stuff is huge hugely important and sure enough uh you know it's something that gave me a lot of insight and and really developed some great relationships through that process you know i i i'm i'm similar to you and i was you know i found myself and, and unlike you is when you were incarcerated in this treatment facility is a beautiful place northern maryland right on the chesapeake bay and i was despondent when i got there but with every passing day I noticed more and more. I noticed deer. I noticed an eagle's nest. I noticed, you know, these sunrises and these sunsets, and it started to impact me, which made me believe that, you know, there was there was some light inside of me. Um, and, and one of the th reasons why is that I was allowing my mind to get quiet, and my mind was drifting towards things that were important to me. And you mentioned meditation. Um, is that something you do every day? I try to. Um, and now that I'm living in the, on the East coast, I have to take a train and commute for about an hour, hour and a half on um, most days. And what's really cool in a, in a, like at a train car, when things are kind of hustling and bustling to just become still for, you know, a period of time that that's really helpful in, in how I'm getting centered. So yeah, it's been a huge part of, of, you know, being in that that place where you talked about being where your feet are, right. Being present 
uh, and, and not thinking ahead or this, that, and the other. And because my life right now is a, it's pretty overwhelming, right? This show, my family, I'm traveling on the weekends, calling college football games. Um, so uh, it, it's it's a it's a full go deal right now, and um, it's imperative that I have that moment where I can find that stillness and just kind of be where I'm at. Um, it's a huge part of my program. Yes. Yeah, there's an, you probably read it. Another Ryan Holiday book, "Stillness Is the Key," uh, and it's it's about it, it gives some great historical references about you know the importance of solitude and getting your mind quiet and and. Inherently, it's been clinically proven when your mind does get quiet, it does gravitate toward things that matter to you. And nothing else mattered to me when I, my mind was not right other than satisfying myself, which yep. was being impaired. Um, and I highly recommend that book as well as, you know, the, the Ego is the Enemy, Obstacle is the Way. Ryan's written some great stuff. I know you've got a show to do, but I, I want you to give me some detail. I, I know the show, uh, but I want you to share what you're doing now because you mentioned the college football on the weekends, but this this new platform, this is all this is you. you this is not about you calling games and the show is on the field. You're the show. Yeah, you know what really uh, you know was the catalyst for this, and I have to give a ton of credit to uh, you know a friend of mine, uh, Rich Eisen. Yep. He is, has been um, doing his own show for, for some time. And about two, just over two years ago, uh, he started having me come on as a guest host when he was out. <clears throat> and I can't tell you how much that platform uh, catapulted me into the position that I'm in. Not only because it got to showcase my ability to host my own show for three hours, um, but also for people to see the personality and the growth. Uh, of, of a fellow human being and people were interested in that and they wanted to hear that. And I really think it, it allowed for my bosses here at, at points bet to, you know, establish a show of my own. You know, we named it the straight line. We thought that was a really neat play Smart. on words, be, yeah, a little play on words because we're dealing with, with, with the gambling aspect and sports betting aspect, but the straight aspect of, you know, staying on the straight and narrow and, uh, and the only way to be successful and have the things that, that I've found to have, is, is being that way. So yeah, I'm really, really proud of it. I can't believe what, I mean, my boss, Liam, you know, came to me with this idea of this, this studio, what it was going to look like and, and to walk into it yesterday and to be sitting here right now. I mean, it is, it is an unbe unbelievable dream realized. And so, yeah, uh, I, I like what I get to do. Um, it gives me an opportunity to reach a, 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 a lot of people. And I think it's a, a platform that showcases for those of you who are out there who are still struggling, there is a solution. There is a way. Uh, and you can be exactly wherever you want to be because 10 years ago I was sitting in a prison cell and I would have never imagined if you would have told me that this was possible for me, I would have told you you're, you're nuts and, uh, and look where we're at now. So I'm, I'm really grateful for, for the opportunity. Let me get you out of here because uh, you got a show to do. These five quick questions. Who's the best college football player you've ever seen? Uh, Reggie Bush. Okay. I, I say Bo Jackson. Now, you were like 10 years old when Bo was in, at Auburn. Well, I tell you what, though. Bo, like, Bo Jackson was all over my brother. My brother Jeff's here visiting me today. Yeah. He had, he had everything Bo Jackson <laughs> in his room. So I, I get that one, too. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't get to see him enough in college. 
Reggie Bush for he me was, was the best college football player I'd ever seen. He yeah. was spectacular, no doubt. The last time you threw a football with velocity, um, uh, spring game, I was covering the Washington State game. Coach Dickert wheeled me out there and had me throw a couple passes in the scrimmage, and I and I fired a couple to the sideline there. So that was probably the last time I let nice. one fly. All right, yeah. what what is the most inspirational or important book you've ever read? Unbroken about uh, yep. Louis Zamperini. Uh, I was in prison. Uh, I watched, uh, or I read this guy's story, and it made me realize that if there was any point that I ever felt like the victim or I felt like I deserved something or couldn't overcome something, uh, I would just, I would look at that and, and see the inspiration uh, around him and, and, and that wonderful writing. That, that book for me, uh, uh, over time, I've moved on, uh, moved to different homes. That book, no matter what, has always maintained uh, in my in my library. Extraordinary true story, Laura Hillebrand. It's an incredible book, no doubt. All right, the movie, whether it's 15 minutes left or just started, that when you see it, you're 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 in. The Dark Knight. Uh, it, it's. Uh, uh, the performance by Heath Ledger, yeah, uh, Christopher Christopher Nolan's adaptation of of Batman. Um, that that it doesn't matter. I'm I'm locked in. And sometimes my you know my brother's an actor too, and so he told me one time after I'd seen it a few times in the theater, he said, "Go to the theater and don't watch anything but Heath. The entire don't watch anything else. Just watch him." And when you do that, and I was locked into that, I was like, "What an unbelievable performance!" So. Yeah, the Dark Knight for me is is the best movie that I've ever I've ever seen. All right, last thing, you're a big sports fan. The sporting event you've never been to and want to attend. Well, it was the Masters, and ironically enough, uh, you probably understand how difficult this is, but yeah. everybody put puts in the lottery every year. Yeah. The first three years out of prison, I hit the lottery. It is absolutely karma they were like the masters people must have been like oh man ryan's wanting tickets i mean he's had a tough go of it let's <laughs> let's let him and his family come down to augusta uh so that was that was the um you know that was the, the holy grail that was the holy grail um i got to experience that i you know i don't know what what would be next uh, i've got to experience pretty much pretty much everything in terms of, of the sporting world um, but the Masters and Augusta National were, were certainly it. I think probably the next bucket list thing would be there, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll kind of maybe point to my buddy Peyton Manning, who's a member at Augusta. Yes, he is. That would be the, that would be the next bucket <laughs> list. I, I need to play Augusta National. You do indeed. Listen, I, I'm awfully appreciative of the time. Um, very happy for you with, with this platform and obviously calling a game you love. Uh, but most importantly, appreciate the inspiration and your willingness to, to give it away, to keep it yourself. So thanks for doing this. Gary, thank you. I appreciate it. Keep it up. Proud of you. Uh, everybody who can, can take something from this is, is important. If we affect one life, uh, you know, you've, you've made a difference. So thanks. Thank you. Well, I really appreciate Ryan Lieb taking the time. And I know that this was a total departure uh, from the conversations I have on a week-to-week -week basis, but uh, it was important to me, uh, and I appreciate your indulgence if you did take the time to listen, because it's important for me because 
I've got to give it away. I've got to give away uh, the, the things that I know. And all I know is my own journey. And I am not an expert on anything. Uh, I'm just an alcoholic who's, who's trying to stay sober one day at a time. And, and Ryan doing the same thing. So thank you for taking the time to listen to this Five Clubs conversation. We'll see you next time.